plan ahead. Yeah. Don't hit a crisis point and then think, who am I going to talk to? How do I share? Plan ahead. Have your communication plan. Have some of your messages pre-planned. You know what they're going to be. And some of them are pretty horrible messages to deliver. Mm. Plan ahead. Be thoughtful about those things. Who's going to deliver the messages and how? Hi, I'm Cameron from Smooth Digital and welcome to Tea with Toby, the show where we ask and answer the questions playing in the minds of the care sector's business leaders. This first episode in season three is sponsored by the Access Group and we're going to kick off the show as always with a few words from our marketing strategy director, Toby Ali Usman. Cameron, thanks. And um, it's good to be back and see season three now. Um, this is a really important show. Uh, this is a really important episode. And we're, it's going to be relevant towards home care and care home businesses. And we're going to be talking around the area of compliance during COVID-19. And on that note, I just want to quickly introduce today's guest. Mr. Martin Lothian. Welcome, hey, Martin. Thank you very much. Hi, Cameron. Uh, Martin, just very quickly for the audience, could you give a very brief summary of uh, your background in the care sector? Absolutely. Yeah, so I, I work for the Access Group now. I've been with uh, Access for two years. But prior to working for Access, uh, I was uh, the Governance and Quality Director for HC1 for three and a half years. Um, so worked with HC1, obviously, lots of uh, residential and nursing care homes and specialist dementia care homes up and down the country across England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. I've also worked with other care groups so I've had experience with uh, both nursing and residential homes, domiciliary care provision, also retirement villages mm -hmm. and prior to working in the sector I've also been a management consultant in both social care in the NHS and used to work in uh, NHS acute hospitals and CCGs and did that for 14 years before coming into social care. Awesome. Well, thanks again. A lot of experience for today. <laughs> a lot of experience there. So we're, we're going to tap into that. And you've probably watched the show before. So in Tewa Toby fashion, let's jump in. So let's start with continuity plans. So we have a diverse audience from the more established care businesses to the sort of early startups. First of all, can you share what is a business continuity plan? And then also, why is it so typical during this period? Absolutely, yeah. So um, I've been doing a lot of uh, talking to care providers over the last seven weeks, as you'd imagine. And again, every type of provider. And, and for me, my explanation of what is a business continuity plan is, it's the end product of doing your business continuity management assessment. You assess what you have to deliver as a service, as a provider. So if I'm a domiciliary care provider, um, my first thing is, who am I supporting? How many people am I supporting? Where are they? Mm -hmm. That's my fundamental. And then what are my inputs? What do I need to be able to support those people? So I have to then look at what is it within my business? I have to continue to be able to support those people. And if we look at the fundamentals, that's people, of course. You know, I need a trained, competent workforce who can go and visit those uh, clients. In addition to that, I need to know what their care records are. I need to know if they've got any medicines that need to be administered. I need to know how to support them. So that's where technology supports me in terms of my business. So I've got people, I've got technology, 
And then in addition to that, of course, the hot topic, PPE. Hmm. So I need to know that my staff, if they're going out, they're protected, but also my clients are protected. And if we look at residential and nursing homes, it's a similar challenge, but all of our residents are living in, in you know, we, we work in their home is the way I look at it. So their home has to be a protected environment. So staff coming in from staff hygiene, uh, hand hygiene when they're working in the service, uh, uh, wearing appropriate PPE, all of those things are crucial. And then looking at what are the, you know, what are the threats in terms of the COVID-19 crisis? Infection control is crucial. Supply chain is crucial. Mm. So it's understanding all of that and having plans. If things might go wrong, what am I going to do then? Awesome. So I'm, I'm guessing most businesses would have had some sort of business continuity plan in place already. Absolutely. But now during COVID-19, I'm sure people are now updating those plans. Totally. What are some of the must-haves that they should be including in yeah. these plans? That's a great question. It's for, for me, with typical business continuity plans, you look at the things that are going to happen. So we will have perhaps a heat wave every now and then. So we need to think about hydration risk. We'll have bad weather in the winter. We need to think about that. But whilst in theory we plan for a pandemic, it could happen. Our plans aren't that mature. So as the information matures from uh, whether we're talking UKHCA as a brilliant source of information, um, the government, etc., we need to understand what is this threat? What do we need to do? And then how do we respond? So in that for me, my fundamental always, I start with my staff. So whether I'm running a care home, nursing home, whether I'm running supported living services or domiciliary care, I need to know that I'm taking my responsibilities as an employee employer and a provider seriously i'm keeping everybody safe mm -hmm. so i have to look at my staff look at the support to them if they're high risk then they're going to have to self-isolate if they become symptomatic they're going to have to self-isolate or family members amazing people in the sector who have dedicated themselves i saw a story of a, of a care home on the isle of Wight where staff are sleeping in the garden yeah yeah that is just phenomenal commitment. Mm. You know, if I was a CQC inspector, my gosh, you are outstanding people. Absolutely. What commitment. So oh. beyond, beyond staffing, things like, you know, management of PPE, what do I need? Where am I getting it from? And, and where do I go if my supplier lets me down? All of those things fundamental in your continuity plan. Communication strategy, Toby. You know, you, you guys, I've, I've watched these uh, these tea with Toby's. You guys are great at communicating. Mm. I'm sure a lot of planning goes in in advance with your business continuity plan. Plan ahead. Yeah. Don't hit a crisis point and then think, who am I going to talk to? How do I share? Plan ahead. Have your communication plan. Have some of your messages pre-planned. You know what they're going to be, and some of them are pretty horrible messages to deliver. Mm. Plan ahead. Be thoughtful about those things. Who's going to deliver the messages and how? Awesome. That's good to know. So you touched on staffing levels, and that's a, that's a big thing. So we've been speaking with our clients. We've been speaking to providers in the community. And some of these um, providers have really low staffing levels. Yes. Due to, you know, uh, self-isolation, uh, self yes. sickness. Yeah. Um, I'm sure they're doing the very best to provide the very best care with the resource yeah. they have. But from a compliance perspective, CQC may question whether their staffing levels are actually safe. 
Absolutely. So what are some of the things that they should be thinking about during this period? And also how can they um, evidence that they're actually are being compliant during this period? Yeah. Again, really good question because it's, you know, we can think we're, we're keeping people safe. Rightly, the regulator will say, show me that it's all about the evidence. Mm, so yeah. for me, providers are used to answering the question, how do you plan? How do you ensure safe delivery of care? safe, caring, effective, responsive, and that you're well-led, all of those lovely CQC sort of five domains that we focus on. But, but looking into that, for me, my business continuity plan, as soon as COVID happened, if I was a residential and nursing provider, what are the things I do today with my staff team that if I get to the point where I don't have enough staff, I can stop? And that's part of business continuity management. Now, as soon as we went into lockdown, we're not doing any theatre trips or days out or any of that. So some of that staff resource could be redeployed. So there are things we can look at. Also, if we're delivering, let's say, five visits in a domiciliary care setting to a particular client, rather than going in and out five times during a 24-hour period, could we perhaps change that frequency, go from five to three visits? Can we deliver some of that support and, and activities and care delivery actually in a smaller number of visits so for me it's looking creatively how can we support this person really well still but actually do it within the context of what we're working in so we continue to care for them we continue to be that supportive friend that they see throughout the day mm. crucially also when people are out in the business as you said self-isolating whether they're ill or whether they've got an underlying condition, I might need to look to bring some more staff in. People have been displaced, whether they're university students, whether they're people who worked in hospitality, airlines, you name it, people are out there who we could recruit. And, and I see that as an opportunity. I am, anyone who knows me, I am the eternal optimist. So even in a crisis, there are opportunities. Yeah. Could I recruit someone who is brilliant in hospitality who's never thought about working either in, in domiciliary care or in a residential and nursing or supported living setting, can I recruit them? Maybe during the crisis, they're looking for something to keep the money flowing. Yeah. Actually, they might be an amazing person to work in my business for the next 20 years. Absolutely, and we're actually seeing quite a bit of that. We've seen um, some businesses grow substantially over the last six yes. weeks. Yeah. During a period we've been quiet, we've been running those campaigns and attracting yeah. them. Some have proactively said that they want to be there for a short period of time, but some yes. just didn't know that they yeah. can actually work in care. Absolutely. Um, but just on that point, is there anything that, you know, I know these businesses are keen to get these people on and provide them care. Is there anything that they have to document to make sure that they're actually going through the right training as well? Absolutely. Absolutely, Toby. If, if, if we look at any of the regulations, so if we think about CQC, you know, safe recruitment is one of the fundamentals, of course. So you will interview people. Again, you can do that through technology nowadays. If you've got a screening product that can help you, you can do their DBSs online. You can do all of those pre-recruitment checks through technology. Mm -hmm. Then once you've safely recruited them, I want to train that person to know that they're capable. Access virtual classrooms. You can do that online. They can do that training from home e-learning do that e-learning from home and then you've done the courses if you've got a great 
provider of uh, e-learning, they've also got e-competency assessments. So whilst we have to invest in bringing these new people on, we can do it safely. We can do it in a, in a legislatively uh, compliant way, but actually they can hit the ground running. So actually they can come in pre-trained. Yes, of course, I would probably put someone so they can shadow for the first few shifts, especially where you've got support that you're delivering, whether it's home care or whether it's in a care home, where they're working with other colleagues who can then role model what my expectation is of how to do this in, re in real life. Awesome. And I've seen some really good, um, you know, clients that we work with that have adapted to that awesomely in such a short period of time. Yeah. But coming um, back Martin, just very quickly, uh, preempting a question that might come up. You mentioned the e-learning providers. Just for the show notes after, would you be able to provide some that you might recommend so I can add it absolutely, in? Absolutely, absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So I've yeah I've I've, I've spoken to uh, a couple of providers. We we actually within the access group uh, have provision ourselves. So uh, absolutely, I'll provide that contact detail to you. Okay, so that'll be in the show notes for everyone watching or listening. So just coming back to. Um, the self-isolating staff. Mm. It, during this period, um, it could be quite lonely for them. Yes. Is there anything that you know providers can do to basically support those people and make them feel that like they're still part of the team? And um, yeah, yeah. Again, that is absolutely crucial. It it would be very easy for a provider to focus completely on their clients and that 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 everyone externally to the organization would think, yeah, that's what your absolute priority is. For me, you've got to look after your staff. You know, they're, they're part of your, your care team family, frankly. So looking after them as well as, you know, yes, of course, the health and safety executive are looking at you as a provider. So you have a responsibility, but, but I think our moral responsibility to the people who support brilliantly at, at this time and every other time, um, Absolutely. Use technology. Um, if your colleagues have got tablet devices, smartphones, if they've got a computer, do what we're doing. We're not sat in the room together today, Toby. We're, we're chatting through, you know, uh, through using Zoom. So you can use Zoom, you can do FaceTime, whatever that media is, use it. In, in the Axis group where I work, we have social chats with colleagues. So people who are used to being sat in the office together, we will have a cup of tea together. We will, you know, at the end of Friday, we might have a virtual beer together. So, you know, there's a, there's a physical beer in that bottle. It's not virtual, but uh, <laughs> you know, we, we will have a, you know, but it's, it's important to keep that connection yeah. there. And I think for team members who think, do you know what? I'm struggling. I, I'm, I'm not in my work environment. I'm not contributing, maybe is what they're thinking. And my team members are the heroes out there. Yeah. Do you know what? You, if you support your team members, even just by having a chat and tell them about what a brilliant job they're doing, you'd like to be there. Actually, if you've got an electronic care planning system, could you get access to that? Could you review some of those care plans and actually still be proactively helping? All the staff members who are self-isolating. Absolutely. If you've, got, if you've got an electronic care planning system, you could absolutely go into that. You could look at the clients that you support whether that's, uh, you know, often particularly this is, if I say domiciliary care is often ahead of residential and nursing care with technology. If you've got remote access to that, you normally do a visit with a tablet device. Could you go through and do some review notes and help your team 
back in the office actually to enhance the care plans because when you're busy delivering care have you remembered that you know martin you know when martin's being supported make sure you talk to him throughout the move if you're using a hoist to move martin from his bed into a chair talk to him throughout that whole process mm. if martin always wants a cup of coffee when he wakes up in the morning and gets a bit irritated if you say do you want a tea coffee orange juice make sure that's in the care notes just because you always support him now today you're not supporting him mm. so actually support your colleagues get those care plans up together if my e-learning course is yeah. going to expire in six weeks time i could do that while i'm at home so when i come back into work i'm not spending timing to time doing my e-learning so i can get ahead on those things and they're being productive as well so totally and that's that's so important to all of us we all want to be productive i've i've been very very busy um during covid 19 i consider myself to be incredibly lucky um so whether that's writing articles on business continuity management how to keep ahead of you know where we are you know don't forget that the regulator will come back after all of covid 19 you know so don't stop auditing don't stop your quality processes because this is going on they all matter mm. so let's let's use the example you gave of the person that's being cared for martin i think mm. there are people who are concerned that during this social distancing period people like martin will be isolated yes. socially yeah what can providers do to um, avoid social isolation yeah and um and also what follows afterwards yeah yeah absolutely and and it's it's a terminology that is common now social isolation mm. um a colleague in the sector who i respect has has actually changed that and said let's talk about physical isolation yeah yeah because yeah. actually if we That's think about what it, is. It, it is what it is and if i look at what i know providers are doing you know i've, I've talked to a lot of providers recently and and, and often that you know it, it's a catch-up how are you doing what are your biggest pressures at the moment is there anything from my experience i might be able to give them some hints and tips with mm. they're saying that funnily enough during covid19 they've got residents in their care and nursing homes who are now talking through a skype call or through through technology to family members who live somewhere else in the country yes. and bizarrely now they're having more conversations with their loved ones than they were before covid19 hit mm. so although there is physical isolation actually they might be talking and they again care homes are really savvy at right why don't i book this in and then that daughter or that granddaughter or that grandson won't let their loved one down because i've booked it it's 12 30 or preferably not at lunchtime maybe it's 2 30 yeah. and and it's going to be a skype call team member will go in set up the device hand it to that resident mm. and then they can have a face-to-face -face conversation they probably weren't doing that regularly with their family before covid19 so this is where i say toby be optimistic be positive where are my opportunities to change things now and help people out absolutely and there's there's so much technology out there we're we're, we're using zoom there's um google meet anyone yes. now with a gmail account can use google meet for free yes and um, there's skype there's whatsapp messenger yeah um there's so much out there absolutely um, yeah there's there's no there, there is frankly no excuse because if you're a provider 
if you normally go in and, and again if i say a domiciliary care provider if your team member goes in and they've got a tablet device that they've got uh, you know their care planning system on well actually if your visit could include a 15 minute skype call with someone yeah. actually can't you book that into that visit that day absolutely is, is that possible if you've unlocked that on the tablet device book it in be innovative mm. if i'm your regulator my gosh if you're doing that during covid19 you're not just doing what you were doing before. My gosh, you know, you've embraced this. You're looking beyond the, the necessary. You know, I, I talk about people can survive in care or they can thrive in care. Yeah. I want to be the provider who has people who thrive. Yeah. I, I don't want people just to survive in my service and be delivered a, a, a very vanilla service. I want them to live every day. Mm. So it, it does feel, you know, some people say when things go back to normal or, <laughs> or the new normal. Yeah. How do you feel COVID-19 is going to have a long, do you feel COVID-19 is going to have a long-term effect? And what sort of things do you think will change in the long run? Absolutely. I, th I think there will be some, some lasting changes. I think some of them will be really positive. If I give the example of using technologies, I have a couple of times. Um, I honestly think that people will be in more conversation with their loved ones, their friends um, afterwards using technology. So whether I live at home and my care provider might enable that as part of the, the visit that they do, if I don't have a tablet device and technology. Uh, embracing technology for remote working for team members. There's, there's, there's larger organizations that are usually have a head office. I can run, you know, three, seven, 20, domiciliary care branches I could run lots of care homes I'm usually jumping in the car and driving around well today I'm you know a regional team member sat in my you know my home office well actually if I've got electronic care plans I can see what's going on if I've got an electronic rostering and people management solution I can see what's going on if I've got an electronic care compliance solution I can see what's happening I can see the audits are happening I can see that we're performing really well but also I can spot the risks and I can see whether my team members are progressing actions. So, you know, technology helps us. It helps us pre COVID and post COVID, whatever that looks like, but actually during the crisis, you know, embrace technology, get some efficiency into your business that gives you time to manage your business. I, th I think when you spoke to uh, Simon Crowther, um, you had a conversation on, on one of these sessions and talking about, uh, you know, how, how do you manage your business so your business can manage without you? That's right, yeah. And, and for me, I, I, I want technology to help me. I want technology to allow me to grow my business. And, and in growing my business, that might be making my team members by supporting them, supervising them, coaching them the best they can be. Awesome. You know, isn't that a great outcome? <laughs> yeah, if that's so, what so probably doesn't cover all of your question. And I think the models of care will change a bit. Yeah. People will have some anxieties about what they perceive hasn't gone great during the crisis. Um, you know, to be honest, you know, I think we need to look beyond did did was COVID the primary cause of somebody's death? Did COVID, you know, impact on an existing precondition? So let's not over egg the impact of of living let's say in a care home actually you know this is something that's happened or, or wherever that might be but but in terms of it for me i think there's a lot of lessons to learn um, i'm seeing you mentioned growth earlier reablement 
Mm. It's something when I worked in the NHS, it was really frustrating how hard it was to get patients out of hospital into the community. And I think at the moment we're unlocking that capability more. More reablement services are, are growing. They're getting quicker output in terms of people being discharged from hospital. They're supporting people to get home quicker. That's what the model of care should look like. People shouldn't be, you know, wasting days and days and weeks in hospital. They should be back into the community. So for me, that model of care, that should really take off after this. Mm. And, and I think if I, if I go a bit grand, you know, government off the back of this, mm. government should respect the care sector far more. I really hope they do in a meaningful way. Care workers are amazing. You know, it's great that we clapped for the NHS, but I'm so proud that we clapped for care workers now. That's only right. You know, we, we, we all do that hard job. Mm. And I find I work in a software company, but I feel like a provider still because I'm talking to providers day in, day out. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting this because um, uh, we've been working very closely with a care worker charity and helping apply for some funding. Yeah. And the general public do not, realize there's a difference between social care and nhs no they just don't understand no. what actually goes on no. and it's kind of it, it's the positive of you know the sector being on the news is there's loads yeah. of terrible stories that they're they're talking about but the positive is that it's actually shedding a light on it absolutely um, i mean historically my my experience is we often hear about uh, the care sector when something's gone wrong how often historically, pre-COVID-19, did we hear about the great stuff? Mm. And there is so much amazing stuff going on in our sector mm -hmm. that we all should be really proud of. We actually have a previous episode on that very thing uh, oh. from our first season. That was the same thing. We were, we were saying to people, you need to be proactive yes. promoting your positive news because yeah. that is it. It's, it's the general public have the negativity. They do. Promote the good stuff. And do, it's do, the same thing now. People are doing great yeah. things during COVID-19, yeah. promote that. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you, Cameron. One of my things I used to do when I was at HC1 and, and working with other providers, I would go into a registered manager's office, if they closed their door, because we were having a conf confidential conversation, on the back of the door, you'd see 35 or however many thank you cards. Mm -hmm. And they were shy about sharing that because it felt like bragging and that's not what our sector is about we do a great job and we don't boast about it or don't show it off. And, and my word of advice always is share the great stuff. Let people know what an amazing job you're doing. You know, the, the software I, I work with care compliance, we've got a compliments module in there. And I'm always saying to people, when somebody complains, have a context to that complaint. If, if I've got in there that, you know, the, the diversity of the menu in my care home is really limited as a complaint, I've got 25 residents who have said diversity is phenomenal I love it when you change your seasonal menu well actually it gives me a context to say right Martin what is it you're not finding diverse because actually I've got you know, 25 other people who live here find it really diverse what's missing and you know I grew up in the countryside I never see rabbit on the menu or whatever that random thing might be that I love to eat ah okay now I understand what you're telling me Absolutely. Celebrate the great stuff. <laughs> we, 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 we are having um, a provider join the show and we're going to talk even more about this, but I think it's important just to mention now, because there has been so many negative stories 
you do really need to be so proactive in pushing the positive stories. Yes. Statistically, what we're actually seeing with the campaigns of people who are looking for Ken is that their consideration period is increased because probably they're, you know, they are considering um, care for a loved one. They're doing their research, but then, oh, BBC News, another yes. horror story, another horror story. Yeah. So more than ever now is the time to scream and shout about all the positive stories. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and get, your, get your, whether it's your clients in, in home care, whether it's your residents in nursing and residential home, in, in supported living, whoever it is, get them to talk about how good you are. Because, you know, for me, you know, work, working for the Access Group, it's all very well me telling someone how great our software is, but actually read the case studies. Absolutely. That, that's somebody who's paid money for that software solution. And afterwards, they've told people how good it is. And if I was a provider, that's what I want to hear. <laughs> from a recruitment perspective, that's really useful as well. So having, let's say, for example, there's people who are looking to come into the world of social care and then they might tell their family and their family's like, oh, don't do that. Yeah. But then they can say, no, look at this. Here's some real recent testimonials from Absolutely. people who have the job I'm applying for. Yes. And also from the from the um, uh, customer side as well. Absolutely. New testimonials. If you can get the families to share how yeah. during this period, yeah. um, the, 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 the provider's been on the yeah. ball, yeah. that it's a very safe place, they've taken all the precautions, yeah. that does make a difference during that consideration. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I, I put my governance hat on and I think, when, when I'm looking at something, whether I'm looking to buy software, whether I'm looking to potentially get a job somewhere, I call it due diligence. We all do it. We don't just call it due diligence. We just think, you know, do I want to work for that organization? What can I find out about them? Um, do I want to buy software from them? Do I want to recruit that person? What can I find out about them? For me, it's all about that bit, that bit of objective evidence that you can see that gives you comfort. And, and again, the regulator wants that. The regulator, when they look post-COVID, how have they done the business as usual stuff? How have they managed business continuity throughout the crisis? Did they have their eyes open? Did they engage their brain? Did they work efficiently? Did they keep people safe, staff as well as clients that they support? Did they do it well? Did they communicate with their stakeholders? Did they do that well? And, and off the back of that, I'd say there are providers who were potentially looking at goods from their next rating. There's an opportunity to really shine here. If you've kept people safe in an amazing, sensible, creative way here, and you've been exceptionally well-led, there's two possibilities in terms of outstanding. You get those two to outstanding, happy days. Mm. Martin, I'm just conscious of the time. We definitely have to have you back. If you're yeah, for sure. Come back. Yeah, love to. If, if anyone, you know, listened to some of the things you said and want to learn a little bit more information, is there any, where, where, where should they go to, to sort of learn more? So if they want to know more about uh, Access, um, certainly go to the uh, Access website. So it's the Access group. Um, but also if they want to contact me, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I don't think there's any other Lothian with the W. So <laughs> Martin Lothian, L-O-W-T-H-I-A-N. Um, by all means, I, I would more than happily uh, share my experiences and uh, share my knowledge. I think one thing as well, you've been doing a lot of really great blogs um, and one of them was the basis of this actual episode. So I think if anyone wants to check them out, I'll leave a link as well because they're really, really valuable. 
Yeah, yeah, the, the great COVID-19 hub from Access Group. You know, I, I am a small participant in terms of contributing there. Loads of colleagues in the sector as well as in the Access Group have put up um, some really helpful materials there. And, and I think, you know, I've developed COVID-19 audits that are helping providers share those with people. But, but there's a whole load of information there that is really helping providers. So do please go there. Perfect. Well, thanks very much, Martin. Uh, it's been great to be back and I hope everyone has enjoyed this episode and we're going to be back with another one very soon. So thank you and have a great day. Thank you, Cameron.